Yes, the story of the Titanic was a great disaster. One that could have been averted if those leading the ship had been responsible. When a ship finally responded, he was very, very far away. And when he finally made it, um, only a few people were saved compared to all the people that were in that ship. Let's pray tonight as we study the good word of God. Heavenly Father, as we spend time studying, we thank you that you reveal your truth and give your prophecies with the hope that your children will take heed and listen. And so give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to make a statement which, which is uh, quite profound, but it's really not. And that is, Revelation 19 comes before Revelation 20. Now you know that I've done that before, which means then that I believe, pardon me, I believe that many people miss those connections with a very important, which are so important because it can make a difference between the correct translation and the incorrect translation. In chapter 21, you found the description of the New Jerusalem, its beauty, its glories. And tonight, we're going to be dealing with chapter 19 and 20. And I'm doing a kind of reverse because uh, you'll understand once we get through the study why. Verse 11 of chapter 19 Revelation actually introduces a, an army that is descending from heaven and it's on its way to planet Earth. The greatest rescue mission is about to take place. We had a student who happened to be a uh, trainer for the cadets at West Point. And he had to oftentimes uh, go with a squad. Um, he was an airborne, especially trained uh, to rescue people and all that. I remember one time he told me that. Uh, remember those students that were down in Panama and uh, the United States were concerned about them and finally rescue was sent and all of them were brought safely out? I don't know if you remember that or not. Well, if in case you don't, uh, he was the, the sergeant in command of that group that went to do the rescue. And what he told me was that they were able to rescue all the students, but when uh, they were flying away, he, he began to count his soldiers and discover one of them was missing. And so he ordered the, the helicopter to turn around to see if they could rescue that missing seal. And fortunately, for that seal that the helicopter did come back because he was well, 
but somehow he did not make it there on time to get on the helicopter. And so my friend said the greatest, greatest worry he had was that he would not be able to return back with all that were put under his responsibility. And he said that on every mission he went, he was fortunate that he was able to bring back every person that went with him. It's not, not the same for other units that go out. Jesus is descending from heaven. And in chapter 19, it begins there with verse 11. I'm skipping the other verses because we'll address that in just a moment. But notice what it says. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat up upon it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. And the Bible said, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Obviously, that's who? It is Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I want to let you know that those of you who are acquainted with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, where it says, I would not that you should be ignorant concerning those that are asleep, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose to get, even so uh, will God bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then it says that uh, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? The trump of God and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I was speaking to a, an expert in Greek, uh, Dr. Mervyn Maxwell, and he told me, he said, that that language in First Thessalonians chapter 4 is military terminology. It is suggesting that there is a great rescue mission under take under hand and pardon me undertaken, and that the trumpets usually in the Old Testament were to sound a certain sound, which had to do with what? Either calling the people for uh, getting gathering together, or in battle that had to do with sounding certain sounds to cause the army to go to the left or to the right, to retreat or to attack. So, Jesus then is descending. And along with Thessalonians, you find here in Revelation chapter 19 then, that the armies, it says, in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So Jesus is not coming by himself. According to Matthew, he says he's coming with ten thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. What a splendor that will be when that takes place. What do you say? All of heaven will be open wide. And uh, millions of angels descending from heaven down to the planet to do the greatest rescue mission ever undertaken in all the history of the universe, not just the earth. And so, the Bible says then, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the what? To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. And remember, the first heaven is what? The first heaven is the sky where the birds dwell. The second heaven is the space where the stars are. The third heaven is paradise where Jesus is. Okay. So, 
the birds then are being called to a special gathering. Notice it says, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And so, an invitation is given. Now, what's amazing about this is that there actually are two invitations given in Revelation chapter 19. One is the invitation to the marriage supper of the what? Of the Lamb. The other one is to the supper of the birds. In other words, there will be a dividing that takes place between the righteous and the unrighteous. And uh, when Jesus descends from heaven, the Bible says that I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against its army. Many people call this battle Armageddon. What do they call it? Armageddon. And so the armies of heaven are coming down. The armies of the earth are gathering together to resist that uh, army that's coming. However, the Bible then says that the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he de deceived them that de received the mark of the beast and that worshipped his image. These both were cast into a what? A lake burning with brimstone. And then it says, and the remnant, or the ones that remain, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And what happened? And all the fowls were what? Filled with their flesh. Now, I don't know how many of you remember uh, in the book of Matthew chapter, chapter pardon me, Luke chapter uh, 17. In Luke chapter 17, the disciples ask a question after Jesus says, there are two in a bed, one is taken, the other one is left. Do you remember that? That's verse 34. Uh, if you can go to Luke 17, you can double check and make sure that I'm quoting the right verse. Luke chapter 17. Are you there? If you're not there, then get there. Okay, Luke 17. All right. Because I want you to see it. Now, notice it says in, in chapter 17, after uh, Jesus has mentioned about those in the days of Lot and, of course, those in the days of Noah. Do you remember that? Then, when it comes to the ones uh, that are in bed and the ones that are uh, grinding and the ones that are in the field. Have you seen that already? All right. So chapter 34, uh, pardon me, chapter 17, verse 34. Uh, then it says, I tell in that night there shall be two in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. By the way, I should tell you that these verses are the ones that people who believe in the rapture use to demonstrate that all of a sudden people just disappear and are taken to heaven. However, Matthew 24 and Luke 17 is not warning the disciples, you better watch out or you're going to be taken to heaven. What it's saying is you better watch out or the same thing that happened to the people in Lot's day and the people in 
knowest they can happen to you. So when he says two in the bed, it is suggesting there that simply uh, God has given us the main three occupations of mankind. The what? The main three occupations of mankind. They're either sleeping, working, or at leisure. They're what? Sleeping, two in the bed, sleeping, two grinding, which means what? Working, and two in the field, which means they're out at leisure. So in the main three occupations, something happens. One is taken and the other one left. Now the question that the disciples raise is, is in the last verse. If you look at the last verse, it simply says, where, Lord? Do you see that, verse 37? Do you see that, verse 37? So you have to ask the question, what group is the where, Lord, applying to? To the ones that are taken, to the ones that are left? Which ones? I'm testing you. Which one? Well, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Does the context tell you where they are? They're in bed, they're working, or in the field. So now we know where they are. So the question cannot apply to where they are. The question must be applying to where they're going. Does that make sense to you? Yes or no? All right. So then the answer that Jesus gives, notice what he says. Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. So, most rapturists stop at, before that question. They don't mention that question. Because that question fouls up the whole rapture theory. Because when the disciples ask, where, Lord? The answer that Jesus gives is not that they're being going taken to heaven. But where are they taken? When it says where the vultures are, the eagles are, there's the bodies. What does that suggest? Does that suggest life or death? Which one? When you see vultures flying over a place, what does that tell you? There's somebody alive down there, jumping up and down and having, no. What does that suggest? Somebody dead down there, okay? So basically, Jesus simply says they're taken to death. They're taken where? To death. But notice, it says where the eagles are, right? That prophecy or that statement is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 19, where it says that the birds eat the flesh of captains, Richmond, etc. Can you see that? Can you see the, the tie? Yes or no? All right. Now, this is important because the Revelation chapter 19, verse 21 ends with a separation. With a what? With a separation. But it only spells out what has happened to those who are against the Lord. In chapter 19, it doesn't tell you what happens to the righteous. It is in chapter 21 that tells you what happens to the righteous. They go to heaven. They go where? They go to heaven. So, between chapter 19, you have chapter 20. Now you understand why I said 20 comes after 19. So now we see that Jesus has come, the wicked are dealt with, and then what about the devil himself? And that's what chapter 20 is introducing us into. So it's called the millennium. What is it called? Millennium. So let's look at then 
at that separation. According to this picture, can you see there's a, one group running away and the other group what? Drawing close. You see that? So here's what it says. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall he gather all nations and he shall do what? He shall separate them from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And so the separation actually takes place when? When Jesus comes. When? When Jesus comes. Once Jesus comes and he does the separation, there is no more chances. And maybe I should say it correctly. There are no more chances. All right. So, and this is the Father's will which he has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose how much? Nothing. So if you have committed yourself to Christ, you have followed your Savior, you've walked wherever the Lamb has led you, the time will come when it says that Jesus will lose how much? Zero. Okay. But should raise it up again when? At the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, and what? And believeth on him, may have what? Everlasting life, and I will raise him up when? At the last day. So when is it that we're ushered into everlasting life? At the last day. When? At the last day. You see that? So there is a separation. And the righteous are, are gathered and taken to heaven. Then the wicked have been destroyed. And the Bible then says, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him how long? A thousand years. And so the Lord has come. The righteous have been saved. The living and the dead are the dead are raised to meet the Lord in the air. All the righteous are taken to heaven. And we're given a description in heaven, chapter 21. But God also has to deal with the main rebel who has brought about all the misery and all that has happened on the planet. And that is the devil. And the Bible says he is taken and he is bound for how long? A thousand years. Now, he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set him a, a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Now, this language sometimes is a little confusing, but basically what it's saying is this. Once Satan is locked up, he can't deceive anybody anymore. Till when? Now this it says what? Till when? Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose how long? A little season. So in other words, the devil is brought to a halt and it is, he is forced into a vacation from tempting people. I heard only one amen. Okay. He is forced into a situation beyond his control where he is locked up and cannot harass the righteous because they're in heaven. And he has no one on earth to harass because when Jesus has come, as you remember, all who are alive, who are there to fight against the Lord, are either destroyed by fire or destroyed by the brightness of his coming, and the birds have the supper. Okay? 
So that's why it says, blessed and holy is he who have part in what? In the first resurrection, over such a second what? Death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. How long? Um, 1,000 years. So if you are part of the first resurrection, then you'll be with Christ for 1,000 years. If you're not part with Christ in the first resurrection, then you're subject to suffer the second death. So there are two resurrections. How many? Two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the righteous and there's a resurrection of the wicked. But the resurrection of the wicked does not take place till after the thousand years. The resurrection of the righteous takes place at the beginning of the thousand years. So at the beginning when Christ comes, all the righteous are, uh, who have been dead have been raised. All the wicked who have died have not been raised. And all the wicked who are alive are slain. And so the scripture makes it plain then that the righteous will reign with Christ for how long? A thousand years. And that's why in John, Jesus said the following, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all, how many? All that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Notice it doesn't say all that are in heaven. What does it say? All that are where? In the grave. So the only ones that the Bible says are in heaven who are humans, the only ones that are mentioned by name are Moses, Elijah, and Enoch. Those are the only three mentioned. We know that in Revelation chapter, chapter 4 and 5, it reveals that there are 24 elders, and it says they're redeemed from the earth. Actually, it says, we have and have redeemed us from all nations, kindred, tongue, and people. So the 24 elders are those who have been redeemed. But we do not know who they are. And so it's always amazing to me that the ones that the Bible does mention are in the kingdom, no one worships them. But the ones that are not mentioned in the kingdom, everybody makes saints and worships them. How many of you have heard of St. Moses? Any of you? How many of you have heard of St. Enoch? How many of you have heard of St. Elijah? No, but you've heard of St. Peter and St. Paul and St. John. You understand? The ones that Jesus said will remain on the earth until he comes back to take them home are not there in heaven. They're actually here. But the ones that are in heaven, now I'm not suggesting you should make idols of them. What I'm suggesting is that it's interesting that the enemy is not willing to give credit where it's due. Jesus took a few to heaven as a sample that when he comes, he'll take everybody to the kingdom. In other words, if he can take a few, he can take a bunch. What do you say? All right. Now, Marvel now did this. Notice it says, And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So there are two resurrections. How many? Two. One is called the resurrection of life or the first resurrection. The second one is the resurrection of damnation or the second resurrection. But that is decided when Jesus has descended with his army and has made the separation. So the first resurrection is at the beginning of the millennium. The second is at the end of the millennium. Now, if I would just to stop the sermon here and ask you a question, which resurrection do you want to be in? Which one would you choose? I didn't see any hesitation. 
the first one. So the master, our Lord and Savior, now binds the enemy for a thousand years. And the Bible says he's placed in an abyss or abuso, which is the actual Greek, which simply means without form and void. In other words, when the Lord comes, the Bible says that the heavens are rolled back like a scroll. It says there's a large earthquake. You can read that in Revelation chapter 16. A major earthquake that divides the earth. There's going to be uh, the islands disappearing, the mountains moving. It's going to be a horrendous uh, event for planet Earth. And when all that is finished, all that will remain on this earth will be darkness. Will be what? Darkness. And so that is called the millennium. Now the word millennium does not appear in the Bible. It's just a Latin word which means mill, which means a thousand, annium, which means years. Okay, thousand years. We use that term, but the actual Bible doesn't use that term. It just says a thousand years. Now, just a quick review. The second coming of Christ takes place at the beginning of the millennium. Uh, the wicked living are slain. The, the righteous are resurrected. The living do not die. I'm talking about the living righteous do not die. Which means then that some of us, if we happen to live to the coming of Christ, will never have to see death. Isn't that good news? So, the righteous living are actually translated. In other words, the Lord says that all of us will be changed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a moment of the twinkling of the eye. And so then the wicked uh, who have died do not get resurrected at that point. They remain dead. The wicked living are slain and Satan is about a thousand years and the earth is left in a devastated condition. Then during the millennium, the Bible reveals what actually does happen. I beheld the earth and lo, and indeed it was without form and void in the heavens, and they had no light. And then it says, I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were what? Were fled. Then it says, I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness. And then it says, and all its cities were broken down. What broke the cities down? It says, at the presence of who? Of the Lord, by his fierce anger. So all that man has boasted about and has uh, made wealth from, etc., will be no more. Everything will be destroyed. It will not be anybody around. But thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be what? Desolate. Yet I will not make a what? A full end. In other words, the beginning of the millennium is not the end of it all. Because the millennium is a time when God gives his children the opportunity to participate in an investigation. Earth is left in chaos. The devil is bound here. He cannot go to, to heaven and taunt anyone anymore. He's locked up in this chaotic, trembling, dark earth for a thousand years.
And if you don't think that that's a punishment, and so, but the rest of the dead live not again until when? Until the thousand years were finished, this is the first resurrection. So, now we have those in heaven with Christ and those who are not alive down here on the earth. There's nobody here. Now you may ask the question, but it says that the devil cannot deceive the nations till the thousand years are finished. That's because there's nobody here to tempt. Now you may say, well, where will the nations come from? Well, the Bible answers that. If there is a second resurrection, then it means that just as God could raise all of his people and take him to a real place, a literal place, it means also that he can raise the wicked to life again. And so what it's simply telling us is that the wicked will rise again. All the wicked who have ever lived on the planet will all be raised at last. And as I said before when I was mentioning the state of the dead, that this death that we suffered, the first death, is not a punishment. It is simply a pause. It is what? A pause. Both the, the, both the wicked and the good die. Isn't that true? Yes. So it isn't that God is punishing good people with bad people. It's that there's this temporary pause because there is a judgment. There's a what? There's a judgment that's coming. Which means then that if people actually are judged immediately when they die, that's why people say they go to hell. But the Bible doesn't say that people are judged immediately when they die. The Bible says that there's a time of judgment that's coming. Do you understand? And if the judgment is coming, then people are not someplace down in, in some uh, terrible burning place, burning, burning, burning. People are simply asleep. Then the scripture says, And I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of the, those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. In other words, there will be many martyrs who will be resurrected, who at long last, will have their, their time of justification. Um, many, many people have suffered martyrdom throughout the dark ages. And the Bible kind of uh, gives you a sense that they were suffering so much that they were saying, how long, oh God, will you allow this to go on? But finally, the Bible says that God will recompense the righteous. They have suffered for him and they will live with him forever. And that's good news. What do you say? Then it said that he who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark or on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? For a thousand years. So if you have not worshipped man and followed man's dictates, but you have worshipped God and honored God by following his, what he counsels, then you will be among those who will not worship the beast when that issue comes up. And we'll study that in a few nights uh, coming. But you will rise again and be with Christ forever. So the Bible says, do you not know that the saints will what? Will judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, then, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge, what? 
angels. What angels will we judge? The fallen? Which angel will you judge? The fallen angels. You will, the tables will be turned. Now we're being harassed by the fallen angels. Now we're being tormented by the fallen angels. Now we're being persecuted by the fallen. I mean, everything that the devil and his imps can do to make our lives miserable is taking place. But then the table will be turned. And rather than you being the subject of their uh, hatred, we will then be in, in the place to judge. The difference is this, that God's people do not judge the way that the e evil angels judge. We always have mercy with us. But the de demons have no respect of person. They don't care who they tempt or who they destroy. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of what? Out of temptation. And to reserve the what? Who? The unjust unto what? The day of what? Judgment to be punished. You see that? So people cannot go be being punished right now because the day of judgment had not yet come. But the day of judgment does come. Now listen. We're doing the millennium will be uh, an ordeal for God's people as well. From this perspective, we have loved ones. We have had associates, friends, brothers and sisters, etc. And when in the kingdom a loved one is missing, the one who's there will probably want to know why. And they will be able to look into the books and discover why. God must be vindicated. God has done everything possible to save every individual who will let him save them. But if they do not yield to him, if they will not take advantage of what he has provided for them, then when God destroys sin, they will then be consumed along with the sin. And so, we have loved ones that have passed away. Um, and of course, we do not know the heart. But suppose we wake up in the resurrection and somebody's missing. You can go to God and say, why, what happened? And there, you can read in the books, Everything registered. Everything that God did. Everything that the person did to, to turn away from God. To not yield. To not give in. To not surrender. To not participate with that which God has made for them. To save them. And all of that will be revealed. And then the wonderful thing is that every person will be satisfied that God was just and loving. For you see, let me explain this to you. If God were to allow everybody into the kingdom, we will have the same mess that we have here. Isn't that true? Yes or no? Yes. If God were to th take a, a thief into the kingdom, would he be happy? Really? I mean, you have people who just break in. Uh, you know, when I was in Guam, we got broken in at least three times into our home. And 
I can't imagine a thief being happy in a place where, uh, with gold and silver and jewels and everything else. They would go bananas trying to steal something. Where would they hide it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Somebody who loves immorality, when everything is pure and holy there, what joy would they find? They would find no joy. So God is just, and he will do everything possible to save everybody. And look, I can tell you this, that even if you are a prostitute, you hear what I'm saying? God can save a prostitute. We know that because there's a Rahab whose uh, surname was Harlot. I'm saying that because in the Bible, it never changes her name. It starts out with the Harlot Rahab, and you go through the book of Hebrews, and Rahab the Harlot, you go to the book of James, Rahab the Harlot. She never got rid of the, the terrible title. But the reason for that is to let everybody know that no matter how deep they sink into sin, God can rescue you if you allow him. You hear what I'm saying? There's no one that needs to be lost. All can be saved because God has made a provision. But during that time, the righteous will be in heaven, the wicked will remain dead, Satan and his angels are bound on the earth, and the earth remains desolate until the thousand years are finished. Then at the end of the thousand years, this is what happens. The Bible says, and when a thousand years are what? Expired, what happens? Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And you remember that there's a second resurrection. It is at this time that every person who is not saved will be brought to life. Every person. Because the death that they suffered was not the punishment. The, the actual punishment in the Bible is called the second death. What is it called? The second death. And so the scripture says, and he shall go out to deceive the nations. In other words, all of these people who have ever lived, the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, the, 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 you know, all of the whoremongers, the sorcerers, all of the wicked who have ever lived on the planet will finally be brought to life. And unfortunately, the Bible says that they then gather together under the lead of Satan. Somehow, we're not told what he does, but apparently what happens is that he deceives the nations. He what? And how he deceives the nation, we're not, we're not, we're not told. Whether or not he says, okay, I'm your, I'm Jesus, and presents himself to Jesus to, to deceive them, to follow him. Whatever it is, however he does it, the people have been so used to being deceived by him that it obviously will not be, not be hard for him to lead them into the final rebellion of what he's going to do. And the rest of the dead live not again until when? So here's the proof that they will live again. If it says they live not again, it means they will live again. Is that correct? Yes or no? Yeah. The rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So God then says that the holy city comes down to the earth and that the wicked, along with the ringleader, the devil himself, will surround the city with the last desperate effort to save his skin. He leads this huge multitude to besiege the city. And we're told that the walls are transparent gold. They're what? They're transparent gold. Which means then that people from outside can see inside. And people from inside can see outside. And there 
they will see each other, those inside and those outside. The ones outside are still with the, with the results of sin, with all the wrinkles and all the scars and everything that has been the result of sin. The ones inside have been returned back to their youth with the brightness of the glory of God about them in the beautiful Edenic heavens that the Lord had prepared for them. Two distinct groups, two distinct positions. Those who gave their lives for Christ and those who try to save the life apart from Christ. Then the Bible reveals that God will rain fire from heaven. But prior to that, there's a judgment. There's a what? There's a judgment. The Bible says then that fire comes down and devours them. This is the second death. This fire is hotter than the fire of those who claim to believe in hellfire. The hellfire that they believe in doesn't burn the people up. It just tortures them. This fire consumes everything, which means then that we believe in a much hotter fire than those who believe in hellfire. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the Bible actually, actually teaches that sin and sinners will forever be destroyed. What God wants is to destroy the sin, not the sinner. But if the sinner hangs on to the sin, when God bursts the sin, the sinner goes with it. That's why today, God says in the day of your salvation, give me your sin, turn your life over to me. Let me make of you what I, what I can make of you. And if you allow me to, I'll prepare you for the kingdom and I will have a place for you in that kingdom. Allow me to save you, in essence. So in reality, it, it would be harder to be lost than to be saved. We usually think of it as the opposite. It is harder to be saved than to be lost. But the reality is that if you understand what God is able and willing to do, you will understand that God will give all the power and everything possible to save you. He will finish the work that he's begun in you, he says. What a promise, what do you say? All that God offers, he offers to us while we can still choose. The time will come when we will not have that choice. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with a beast and a false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now here's a text that's a little confusing. For how long? Ever and ever. The Bible uses the term ever and ever simply by meaning as long as it lasts. For example, in the book of Jonah, chapter 2, Jonah says that he was in the whale's belly forever. For how long? Forever. Well, if you were inside the stomach of a whale and you were there for one hour, it would, for you it would be for how long? Forever. <laughs> okay. And so the Bible says that Jonah was in the whale's belly forever. In reality, the forever was only what? Three days. All right? So forever simply means as long as it lasts. In other words, obviously, the Lord will make sure that he consumes fire and however long it takes to, to consume with fire sin and its originator, God will do that. But once it is done, it is done forever. Hallelujah, what do you say? Imagine a world where you no longer are taunted and, and harassed and, and tempted 
and uh, malign and deal with all the issues that life has to bring to you. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is what? The second death. So, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But the fearful, unbelieving, and abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in which? In the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. You notice that it's repeated several times. This is the second death. That's the finality. That's why the scripture says that affliction shall not arise the second time. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. God will restore everything back to the Edenic beauty. Let me uh, show you. And I saw a new heaven and a what? And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. In other words, the sea causes separation. And finally, there will not be any more separation. There will not be any more sea. Good news, what do you say? And so, nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What a glorious hope God reveals in this precious word, what do you say? That though we live in an environment that is contaminated with sin, yet the Master has promised that he will finally do away with sin. Which means then that you and I have a choice. You and I do not need to be lost. Heaven has done everything to save you. Revealed everything that makes you savable. But you and I must be willing to cooperate with him. There was a man that I was trying to witness to. And it didn't matter what I did to try to help him to yield to the Lord. He just would not. And finally one night he called me, wanted me to visit him. Actually it was pretty late, or should I say pretty early in the morning. It was about four o'clock in the morning. He wanted me to hasten over to his place. I did go to his place. And uh, told me he had a weird dream. He said I was found myself in this line. Everything was dark around me, but I was on this line. And there were people ahead of me and people behind me. And we we're heading toward a certain gate. And I could see the gate and I could see an angel standing at the gate. And every time that somebody came to that gate, he would open up the book and he would just shake his head sorrowfully. And that person went through the gate and disappeared into some dark abyss. And then he said, as I was being pushed, it, it's, I wanted to somehow run, but there was no place to run. I wanted to escape, but there was no place to escape to. I felt like I was just being moved and moved and moved closer and closer to that gate. Then he said, all of a sudden, I saw a bright light above me. And uh, there was my girlfriend and her son. They looked joyous and peaceless about them. And they were flying with a multitude of people up in this bright light that was taking them up someplace. And I tried to somehow get their attention. 
but they couldn't see me. Then it, that brightness disappeared, and I kept on being moved toward that gate. Finally, I came to the gate, he said, and I looked at the angel, and the angel opened up a page, and there I saw my name. And he looked at me, and he turned his eyes down and shook his head. And then I was forced to move ahead. And I began to climb down into greater darkness and greater darkness and greater darkness. And he said, all of a sudden, I woke up and realized it was a dream. He said, my bed was, was wet with with a sweat, I was drenched in sweat. And he said, I was so terrified by that. And he said, I had to call you and ask you, what does that mean? And I said, it means that you are not ready. If the Lord were to call your name now, you would not be ready. Frank, I said, give your heart to God while you still can. Don't put it off. Because the Lord is simply warning you. And a warning is only good before it happens. Is that true? Give yourself to the Master while you can. And I'm going to make the appeal to you also. Give yourself to the Master while you can. The Lord wants you in the kingdom. You must desire to be there with him. How many of you here tonight in your heart sensed that Jesus does want to save you? And you want to say by raising your hand, Lord, I want to do everything I can to cooperate with you. I want to be in that first resurrection. I want to be among those that dwell with you forever in that glorious place. Let us pray. Father, We're thankful for your revelation that reveals the reality that there will be a final elimination of the wicked one and all that he represents. And Lord, you have seen our hands. We want to be saved to save. Make us all that you want to make us. And if we are not willing, then Lord, make us willing. As the man said who threw himself on his knees, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Then do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.